This is the Journey 66 Book Writing Podcast. I'm Melissa Parks with Dave Getz, and we are your road trip advisors. You may be at mile marker one and just thinking about an idea for a book, or maybe you've gone off-road in your writing and you want to restart the journey. Join Dave and me as we help you buckle up and write. When you're writing a book, especially for the first time, one of the great mysteries is how to find a literary agent. Another mystery, what does a literary agent actually do? Yes, they help you get in front of publishers. They may even broker a deal with a publisher, but what does it look like to work with one from start to finish? To demystify the mystery of literary agents, today we are interviewing Don Gates, the founder and principal of the Gates Group, a multifaceted communications agency. Don works with well-known pastors, authors, and ministry leaders on a variety of ministry and business endeavors. Most notably, Don oversaw the best three years of the New York Times bestsellers in Zondervan's 85-year history. His team of marketing mavens and publicity professionals gave rise to new authors and proven authors making the list. Welcome, Don, to our podcast. We're so excited to get the inside scoop on your work with authors. Thank you so much for being with us. So before we get to pepper you with questions, Dave and I want to turn to where we've made progress this week. So Dave, I will let you go first, as always. Where have you made progress? So this is, this is a hard one. So we have a new puppy. We have two dogs now. I've talked about this endlessly, but our dog, uh, the puppy, has destroyed our backyard. So a couple of years ago, we redid the backyard when my oldest, when my youngest son, actually he's 20, he'll be 21 tomorrow, actually. He attends college right now. But when he graduated from high school, we redid the backyard. And as you know, it's a big investment. Resodded it. It was old sod, old yard. And so this thing was pristine and was, even with our, our current dog, who's four years old, the yard has held up well, well, until we got this pup. And now we got holes everywhere. So I've repaired like four big holes. And so today I'm feeling really good now, whether the grass will grow and whether I can keep the dogs out of it. I've got little wire fences around the areas. So I'm feeling like really bullish right now. Hopefully this is the growing season, fall, late falls or early falls, kind of another growing season. So I'm just hoping I get a little bit of grass before winter because you know when winter comes, it's going to be brutal. My progress has to do with launching my third season of my branded hashtag on Instagram called TQITB, which stands for the quest is the best. And it's a little acronym TQITB is that captures the essence of the joy that vintage hunters dealers feel when they are out on the treasure hunt. And so what I've done in the past is I've gone through the alphabet for 26 weeks. And the first couple of years I did it, it was A is for whatever, like alabaster or abalone, whatever. And they would post a picture. And this year I have different categories. And I think about, I, I was looking at my post just a few minutes ago, and I think over 200 people participated, which is a ton of people. Oh, <laughs> so. Wow. It's going to be a huge commitment to go back and respond to all those posts. And for people who are building a social media platform, the best advice that I can give you is don't ignore people's comments or when they tag you, because that is a lost opportunity to connect with people and create loyal followers. I'm going to discipline myself. And hopefully next week, my progress will be that I responded to all 200 people who, are, who participated. 
what will you say? How will you respond? I will try to actually read what people write. Sometimes people tell little stories about where they found the item that they're sharing, and I'll try to engage on that, or I'll try to say something specific about the item that they shared. This sounds very weird if you're not into vintage. I realize that. But I try to be sincere and pick up on something specific rather than just saying nice or thanks for contributing, because that feels very generic. So I always say with social media, the more specific and authentic you can be, the better. So there's a little tip for people, especially authors, if you're building a platform. What about you, Don? Do you want to share an area where you've made progress this week? It can be pretty simple. As you can see, we're not, <laughs> we're not aiming for the stars here. I, I'm a sports fanatic and uh, play ice hockey twice a week at 6 a.m. I play basketball twice a week. Uh, but I picked up this game uh, this summer called Pickleball. And, uh, you know, it's something that's kind of sweeping the nation. And some people make fun of me for playing this because, I, you know, I'm not 60 plus at this stage. Um, Most people (laughs) who are playing are 60 plus, but uh, I love it. And so I am slowly making progress. Uh, You know, I'm an average tennis player, average ping pong player. Uh, So, you know, I'm I'm average at pickleball now, but week by week, I'm getting a little bit better. And uh, so I'm working hard to uh, get to the point where at least someone has respect for my game. Well, Don, again, I just wanted to say thank you for joining us. And you are going to help so many authors out today who are just unfamiliar with what a literary agent actually does, but they've heard of them and they think they're very important and I'm sure that they are, but we we just want to talk about what a literary agent is, what they do, what they can't do for an author. But first, can you tell us a little bit about the Gates Group and why you founded it and how you got into your current role as a literary agent? I want to do just what you said, Melissa. I want to help authors on this call. And that's why I started the Gates Group, which is the practice that uh, I have for literary agency and have been doing for the last eight years. I started really to help authors. After four years of leading the marketing department as Zonervan, I made a shift to help authors in terms of pulling together concepts and ideas and then presenting them to uh, traditional publishers and finding a pathway for them to publish. Uh, some are you know, well-known authors that sell really well and you know, still uh, finding new authors out there who have a, a voice and something to say and credibility for saying it. So really what I do is I serve authors and, and look to, to meet their needs, matching them up with the right publisher to publish their material. So is that in the simplest words, what a literary agent is, or can you define in simple terms what a literary agent is? And then we can get into details about what a literary, literary agent does. Much like a entertainment agent or a sports agent, uh, the genesis really was with attorneys. And so, and there, there are probably in the Christian space, about a third of the agents out there are attorneys who started doing contracts for authors, started representing them in a way. But today, more than anything else, the best literary agents out there are agents that come alongside and really partner with someone on their literary endeavors, trying to reach people that, uh, you know, they want to write for. And so that's really what I do is look to partner with the right authors that I can help collaborate with to find the readers that they are looking to uh, to meet. And so uh, my background is marketing. So I, I really enjoy the process of concepting the ideas, you know, coming alongside them and concepting with them. 
putting together uh, a proposal and selling that idea into publishers. So you actually work with authors on the proposal itself. So somebody has contacted you with some nascent form of, of the book proposal. And you, if you're interested, you might say, okay, I see where you're going with that, but here's how I envision that in the market. Is that correct? Yes. I mean, that's the ideal, Dave. Uh, you know, sometimes people contact me and say, hey, I've got an offer from a, a publisher. Can you help? And it'll start there. Sometimes I reach out to someone and say, you know, have you ever thought of writing a book? You know, there's a spectrum of where people are in the process, never thought about it or actually have an offer in hand. But the ideal situation is someone who's been thinking about a book, has, you know, formulated some, uh, you know, table of contents or a flow of what that book looks like, has maybe written a chapter or two on it. And that's really the ideal place is engaging with them on their concept that has some structure to it and, you know, a part of it that they've already fleshed out. I was interested when you said you work with small authors and big authors, and I think that there's this common misconception, especially with new authors who are just doing this for the very first time, that it's impossible to get a literary agent when you have no real track record. So what advice do you have for newbie authors, people that don't have a track record about finding a literary agent? How, how persistent should they be? Where should they start? Most of the clients that I work with come to me through existing authors that I'm already working with. Not that you have to do that, but, uh, you know, you, you want to sort of build relationships with other authors writing in the space, the genre in which you're writing in, and, and see if, uh, you know, they'd be willing to vouch for you and help you. If you have enough of a platform, if you have enough credibility, if you have some writing skills, Oftentimes, those authors are the ones that, that bring me folks that are looking, uh, you know, looking for a literary agent. That's not to say every once in a while I get an email out of the blue that I respond to and, you know, find, find a project I can work on. But for the most part, uh, the first point of advice I'd have for potential authors is to find an author that, uh, you know, starts to believe in them and, and, and get an introduction to their agent. What kind of projects are you looking for when you're like either going out to people who you, you want to write a book or you're looking, when you're looking to represent somebody, what are you looking for in that author? My focus in uh, my practice is nonfiction Christian works. Anything that fits in classical Christian orthodoxy, anything that's a nonfiction work, I'm interested in hearing about. You know, really, there's about 20, 22 different publishing groups that I call on. And so in a lot of ways, I'm looking to meet the needs of those publishers that I have existing relationships with. And, you know, what I'm looking for, I'm, I'm trying to, having worked at Zondervan and, and signing 300 contracts for various books, I'm looking, you know, with the eyes of the publishers that I serve and saying, you know, is this something that one of the publishers that five or six of the publishers that I work with would be interested in? And so I'm really looking at it from that mindset. At the end of the day, uh, author's only happy with me if, if I can sell it into a publisher. So that, that's kind of the way in which I approach a project. In, in talking with Andrea recently, she made some comment about that books 
she was just ballparking the number that you have to sell when hers was like 5,000. It's tough to find books that actually sell more than 5,000. I looked at a, at a best-selling, not a best-selling, but a, a Christianity Today had their books of the year, the, uh, nominations for the book of the year. And there were, there was like one that sold more than 15,000. The rest were like under 3,000. I was so shocked at that number. So as you think about as an agent, and this is true, whether you're in the space that you're in, right, which is, you know, nonfiction Christian space, or whether you're in business space or memoirs or whatever it is, how do you assess I know you're looking at the platform, but if that's true, that 5,000, obviously you want to sell 100,000 or 10, you know, 100 million, right? But how do you assess a, a manuscript and, and, and the author as you're working on the concept and ready to pitch it to a publisher? I don't think I'm giving away any secret sauce here when I say that there are three things that I look for. And that's number one, concept. You know, the idea itself, uh, at the end of the day, there are no new ideas. Every book has already been written. There, there's nothing new under the sun. And so what I'm looking to do on the concept side is to say, you know, how can we make this concept seemingly feel new, seem fresh? to a reader base? What are the, the stories and illustrations? What are the uh, examples that can make it feel like it's new, even though nothing is new? And then, you know, what credibility does that author have on that concept? So that's number one concept. Number two these days really is the crowd, if you will. Um, what's that platform? Is there enough there from a, a you know social media standpoint or a speaking engagement or leading a large church or leading a, a ministry in some way? Endorsements, you know, what, what does that uh, crowd look like that that author's bringing? And then thirdly, really, is the content. And so it's the, the writing. What, uh, you know, is there a chapter or two that's very compelling such that an, an editor, a, a marketing guy, a, a saleswoman are going to read and say, wow, this is a good book. I want to read more of what he or she is writing. We interviewed uh, Mickey Modlin from Harper One, sure. and know, it was one of our first our first interviews. And he he talked about how important that first chapter is because if that first chapter doesn't make me want to read more, it's almost like he said it's not like I don't pay attention to the rest of the book, but it's that first chapter that really must pop for me and make me want to and give me a reason to continue to read. How how would you like react to that? Yeah, I, I completely and totally agree. And here's why. Most of the time you can read a first chapter on Amazon. Um, you know, and obviously if you're in a bookstore, you can start and read the first chapter. And so that has to be so compelling for someone to say, wow, I want to read the rest of this book. I'm willing to, you know, pay the $15, $20 it's going to take to, to acquire this book. So really the reader in a lot of ways is often reading, you know, that first chapter chapter and making a decision on buying the book. Once you develop a relationship with an author and you're partnering with them, I love that word they used as a partnership. What can an author do to be an asset to you in the process? How, how can they work with you to be help them be more successful? I so think about it the other way. Um, I don't know if I've thought about it from, from that vantage point. I'm always looking to be the one serving them and serving their interests. But in terms of how they might, you know, serve serve me is, is you know, I, various times I have 
quote, assignments for them, uh, if you will. And my assignments are nothing more than things that have proven to work with publishers over time. So yeah, taking uh, finding a literary agent that you really trust and someone you really believe in, someone who is is there to partner with you, as I've said before, and you just reiterated, Melissa, someone that that uh, you want to uh, you know trust to take you in the right direction and do the right things, and then that just makes it that much easier for you to have confidence in what they're doing and how they're doing it. Can you talk about the span of the author literary agent relationship? Is there a beginning and an end or does it is it so fluid and you may continue to work with them even after the publicity of the book is done and you know you're thinking about project number 2 or 3? My my relationships uh you know really start and they they don't have an ending. In 8 years I've probably had two endings, one in which I initiated and one in which an author initiated for for good reason. But, uh, you know, for the most part, they're, they're ongoing. And for me, I think another notable thing to say is, you know, I'm not an attorney. Uh, I'm not one of the attorney agents that uh, is there at the beginning of the process to do a contract, work on legal language, negotiate uh, adversarially with uh, a publisher. But I'm rather someone who comes alongside and does the upfront work of contract work, but more importantly, you know, guides the book throughout the whole process with the publisher. So I'm engaged, you know, even more so in the editorial process and in the marketing and publicity process. Marketing and publicity is my background. So, you know, I love that and it comes second nature to me. I'm there every step of the way. And then, uh, you know, oftentimes either with that same publisher or going out to a new group of publishers, I'm there to sort of help figure out what could be the right uh, next topic, if you will. Sometimes I offer a perspective or simply just respond to numerous ideas that, uh, that that author has as potential. What about shopping lists? I know that some literary agents, they have like shopping lists or wish lists. Is that something that you do? And when you're investigating the literary agent, I know you said start with other authors and try to get a warm introduction to a literary agent. But if you're just starting cold and you're just trying to look at different types of literary agents out there, should you pay, atten- should you pay attention to those shopping lists? Because that gets, gives you a feel of what they're actually looking for, or is that just fluff? I mean, that's really important. You can put in your show notes an article that just came to me this week from Max Lucado, and that's all about finding the right literary agent for you. And really, it comes down to you know what genre, genre you're working in, what contacts you have, what books that you've done in the past. And so you know, finding, like I said before, that author that has an agent that's really working in your space is, is, is really important. You talked about the three things you're looking for. You're looking for a really good concept that has a good hook. You're looking for platform. You're looking for really good writing. I often say this, that the way books sell is that they're referred, right? Somebody reads the book and they pass it along to someone else. Like, you have just got to read this book. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. That's when a book becomes, you know, really a bestseller for month after month after month. There's an old saying in the book world that good marketing kills a bad book. 
And that's that's pretty much to say you, you can get those initial readers right away through marketing and publicity. But if your book is not good, if is not uh, transformative for a reader, then they are not going to recommend it to others. And that is really, you know, what what sustains a book over time, over, you know, months or years of selling and selling and selling. So, you know, marketing and publicity, really important, but that's all about getting that first group of readers that will become evangelists for your book. So can you talk a little bit about, without being explicit, but just the financials of working with a literary agent? I mean, you're paying, right? A literary agent takes some cut of, of what you make from the book. Is that true? Or can, can you talk about that just generally? It's easy to Google literary percentage. And the standard rate, if you will, is 15%. And, you know, I don't know what it is for a sports agent or a entertainment agent. It's probably less because you're dealing with more dollars. But for a literary agent, it's 15%. You know, the, the one thing I would guard, you know, some of your potential uh, authors around is signing up for something that's more than that or signing up for 15% plus a payment of marketing or editorial services. You know, in my practice and some of the other practices I know, you know, it's pretty clear. It's a, hey, we work together, we win together, we potentially lose together. And so it's a 15%. I never charge my authors for any marketing service or editorial service or anything else. Um, so there's money, money does not exchange hands between me and my authors in any way. It's only coming from a publisher where it goes to the author, 85%, and to the agent, 15%. So, you know, and that's a, not to say that um, all agents who maybe have a different model are wrong, but it's something to watch out for. You don't want to get yourself in a situation where there are surprise expenses along the way. You've signed up with an agent who's now charging you for various services, and it doesn't lead to a, a win-win. Is part of that issue this rise of the hybrid publisher? Because I know a lot of, like some of the authors we work with, we have three buckets. Some people will try to do it themselves, right? They hire their own designer for the design. They hire even, even a PR firm to help them. The second bucket is they go into these hybrid publishers who they pay a fee. You actually get an editor that works with you, and then you pay for all these different services. And it's a, it's a range of services. And then there's, you know, the so-called uh, traditional publishers, like the ones that you work with. So have you had any experience with those hybrid publishers? Does that make sense to you or am I, is that something different that you're aware of? Yes, I, I, I have not had experience with the hybrid publishers, but I, I know what it is. I put them in three buckets this way, Dave, and that is traditional publishing, where publishers pay you to write your book and market your book. And I always, you know, think it's a better thing for you to get paid for writing a book. You know, the, the self-publishing is really where you are paying, you know, a publisher to publish your book. And yes, there can be good reason for that over time. The hybrid publisher and what I call hybrids or true hybrids are the ones where money is not exchanged between publisher and author, but rather you're entering into an agreement where, uh, you know, publishers, said publisher is doing some work on the front end and you're winning as you sell your book together. 
So that's that's the three buckets I put them in. Yes, there are some people out there calling themselves hybrid publishers who are charging a fee up front. But I, you know, to me, that's not a hybrid publisher. Hybrid publisher is one where there's not money being paid from the publisher to the author or the author to the publisher before the book is uh, is published. We work with a lot of authors who enter into writing a book for multiple reasons. Most often it's because they have something that they want to say and they want to influence the world with their words and share their experience and their expertise. But some people sure. want to write a book to extend their platform to support their business model. Maybe it's to support their ministry, to create an entrance into the market for more speaking engagements. How do authors whom you work with view their books as a product and what it can can and can't do for them? I work with 40 plus authors and, you know, I think they would all answer that question in a nuanced way that's different for each one of them. Who I'm looking for, um, and I could say this is true for most of them, is you know their writing is an overflow. They're writing to a seemingly a larger audience, if you will, than is in their congregation every Sunday. I work with some who are, you know, maybe have uh, issue-oriented ministry who are looking to, uh, you know, gain uh, more credibility in that area or or donor development in that area or just making the issue more, um, generating more awareness for that issue. So there's a variety of reasons for writing. In terms of self-publishing, I think it's great when someone says, hey, I want to write this book as a legacy to my children and my children's children. And so that, that's great. And if uh, you want to pay for that uh, to, to take place, that, that's wonderful. There are some people that uh, self-publish and it's about putting their consulting business on the map. And so, you know, a helpful, easy way to build business contacts that way. So there, there's just a lot of different reasons why you know, my authors would uh, be publishing as well as, uh, you know, other people without traditional publishing. What is the most common misconception of what a literary agent can and can't do for you? I mean, there's this essence that people think a literary agent can do more than you actually can. Can you talk a little bit about maybe misconceptions that people have about literary agents? I I think, uh, you know, some authors think, wow, I get this literary agent and then I have fame and fortune. I get well known and I get a lot of money. And uh, yes, that can happen. Yes, that does happen. But a literary agent is not a guarantee that you're going to be the the next uh, celebrity with a lot of cash. That is just such wise words that we try to tell our audience over and over again, but so fresh coming from your voice. Dave, do you have any other questions? I had one that I, I wanted to follow up on. I thought you're mentioning about what publishers are looking for. Are there any trends that you're noticing maybe across the industry, even jumping across categories like you're in the nonfiction Christian category, but anything that you're starting to see that publishers are looking for more of this and less of that? My background is in food marketing, and uh, I say that to say this, um, in food marketing, you really look out and say, you know, what are the trends and what people are eating and where are taste buds going, and, you know, this might be good to try. When it comes to books, yes, there's some of that that happens, but at any time, any type of book can break out. And then you'll see a lot of people trying to copy that book. 
um, in some ways. But uh, it's less about trends. And I think what has resonated in a, a local venue, you know, where are people already responding? And then how do how do I come alongside you? How, do, how does a good literary agent come alongside you and help amplify that message and magnify that message to, to more, and pe- more and more people that can engage with the message that you have? Because you're, you come from a marketing background as opposed to a legal background, I thought this question might be interesting. What is the most common addition that you make to a proposal when an author comes to you from your marketing perspective? What is the addition that you go, okay, we really need to add this and flesh this out? I feel like uh, I help the author think differently at times and think perhaps more creatively or in a different creative way. I wouldn't say that I you know, add things in terms of telling them to do things, but I ask good questions. I have a lot of curiosity. And so I ask the questions perhaps that publishers will be asking that can lead to, you know, maybe better chapter titles, more interesting, captivating chapter titles, or, you know, an addition of a story or two that's going to illustrate a point perhaps better than the first story that they had. You know, so it's things like that where I, I, as I engage with the material, and it's different with every project, I am most likely going to have some questions questions and thoughts and ideas that, you know, 80% of them, the author can throw out, but 20% of it is going to be such that they're going to say, or have said over time, wow, that's really good. I'm going to change my proposal here and here because of what you asked or what your idea was. That's really rich. That's really been super, super, super. Yeah. We really, really enjoyed having you, Don. Thank you so much for offering such Great insight. I'm going to take this all in and hopefully be able to transfer this to authors whom we work with and just give them some good, solid advice. So thank you. Wow. Well, thank you. You guys ask great questions. Uh, And uh, yes, I have uh, ideas and opinions. Uh, You know, uh, if you talk to another agent, you may have a a different spin, but uh, I'm so glad that uh, you wanted to talk with me. And this has really been a, a good time to get to know you guys. Yeah, thank you. That's just great. I'm so grateful for the introduction. So Dave, let's turn to our words of the episode. And my word this week is suave fair. And that is the capacity for appropriate action, especially a polished sureness and social behavior. I knew this word, but my friend used it this week. She is a paralegal and she was up in Madison, Wisconsin with a legal team and representing her client. And it got really heated in the courtroom and the judge was really nasty and the plaintiff attorney was really nasty. And she said that her her lead lawyer on her side had suave fare. So I thought that was a great word. What's the definition again? (laughs) Capacity for appropriate action. As sureness and social behavior. So I guess the other legal counsel did not have a suave there. It's almost a a word related to social intelligence. Would you say that's true? In other words, that she had enough social intelligence to to be appropriate in that setting. Or maybe maybe it's a cousin. So tell me about your word of the episode. So mine is heuristic. And so you often hear this in branding and marketing, but it's a heuristic as a noun. It's like this process or this 
method. It's any approach or problem solving that uses a practical method or various shortcuts to help solve the problem. So a heuristic doesn't work if you're looking for deep data analysis. So you're looking across a lot of data and you're trying to look for patterns and real substantive scientific method to get to some conclusion. But if you're looking for a heuristic, you're looking for a shortcut, like maybe a rule of thumb. Arguably, you could say the 80-20 rule is a heuristic right? That 80% of your clients are going to, you know, or 20% of your clients, maybe in Don's case, 20% of his clients are going to give him 80% of his revenue. That's kind of typical, or maybe 10% of your clients are going to give you 90% of your revenue. That's a heuristic. It's kind of almost like, I don't think it's the same as a hack, but it's like a hack, right? It's a method. It's kind of a shortcut to get to some conclusion. It may not be scientific, but it's, it's a way to kind of get to some sort of decision. I think that is one word that I will never be using in my day-to-day vocabulary. (laughs) But I can appreciate it. And I've heard it said before, and I've never really known what it means. So I'm glad for the newfound understanding. All right, Dave, can you tell our audience what they can find when they jump on the Journey 66 website and how they can connect with us? So we have a couple of ways you can connect. You can jump on the website on the homepage and just take our quiz. We have a quiz. If you're just at that beginning phase of trying to, to really flesh out your idea and see if it's even book, book worthy, we have a quick quiz. And if you take the quiz, you get a free tool on how to develop your thesis, your book thesis. And it's an activity that breaks down your idea into a subject and a complement. And it's a really helpful way to really get clear on your book thesis. So you can do that on the homepage, or you could just go to Journey 66, which is the number 66, journey66.com. It'll take you directly to the quiz. The other thing you can do, you'll see a place to sign up for our weekly tips. We just did one on on introductions. No, actually, it was on prepositional phrases, how to use prepositional phrases. Often, we default to using a prepositional phrase at the end of a sentence. You want to add real power to your sentences. Sometimes you should move that to the front of the sentence. Not always. But anyway, it was a quick tip, and we do that every week. You get a free tip on writing, or it's maybe it's on social media, how to improve uh, your comments, like what Melissa talked about at the beginning of the episode. Well, we hope that you take the quiz and you connect with us and follow us on our social media platforms where we post a few times a week. So thanks again, Don, for being with us. And Dave, I think that that is another episode in the books. <laughs> it's another episode in the books. I'm Melissa Parks. And I'm Dave Getz. Now buckle up and write. 